Welcome to uh, another episode of Engagement Zone. Uh, really, really excited about this one. Not that I'm not excited about all the others. Um, uh, well, congratulations to all our winners and the All African Employee Engagement Awards that announced this week down in Johannesburg. It looked like a fantastic two-day conference, uh, first day being in Darba, where it was free to attend, and the second day was the conference and awards. Uh, I really wish I could have uh, joined you down in Johannesburg, but there is always next year. Um, to the UK, uh, every, day, every day we creep closer to UK and Europe, should I say. Every day we creep a little bit closer to the deadline of October the 16th, 2019. So looking forward to seeing uh, the entries come in and, and handing them off to the panel of judges. But moving to today's guest, um, special for many reasons. Uh, he actually was uh, our closing keynote, uh, our first ever conference. Our first conference was actually in North America, not in the UK, as many people perceive uh, or observe. Uh, first closing keynote in New York, and, and will be actually uh, being a keynote for us in 2020. Um, uh, he's the foremost expert on the science of purpose and fulfillment at work. In 2014, he brought global awareness to the rise of the fourth economic era in history, the purpose economy. He is the CEO and co-founder of Imperative, the platform that connects and supports employees as peer career coaches. Um, Imperative enables video-based peer coaching conversations across organizations that drive mindset and behavior changes to increase leadership abilities, productivity, and fulfillment. He's, uh, apart from being a, a best-selling author, he's featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Fast Company, and is speaking at our conference next year, as I said. Please welcome Aaron Hurst. Welcome. Thank you, sir. It's great to be in the engagement zone. <laughs> yeah. Well, great to have you here. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. First guest to say that, and hopefully not the last. So um, what have you been up to? I've seen you've been globetrotting, actually. Yeah, I just got back from a trip. I was actually in Minneapolis and then in Belgium and Budapest, really sharing our latest research uh, with leaders, um, really just for helping build awareness about the need for purpose and fulfillment at work. And it's just incredible to see the see the traction we're all getting in this area. So uh, Minneapolis, Belgium, and Budapest, it's three very varied, varied destinations, actually. Um, so um, what have you been up to over the summer? Anything of interest? Or have you delayed your vacation? Are you going away sometime soon? <laughs> Um, actually had a great, great trip with the family to, uh, we actually did another three cities. We did Paris, Barcelona, and Dublin, which was fantastic. And, oh, uh, hit a couple national parks here in the U S so trying our best to be inspired by how those of you over in uh, Europe do vacations and not just doing the usual American one or two days. So trying to, trying to make the most of it. Fantastic. Well, uh, a lot of Irish blood in, in myself. I'm taking my fiance to, to Ireland for the first time next month to, to, to Dublin. Uh, before exploring beyond so uh yeah so fun excited to get going it's been quite a few times before so anyway to you and 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 your area of expertise i think people hear purpose and, and culture uh and and they want to try and create high performing cultures um de detoxifying uh, cultures and, and, and try to find the purpose for their organization and sometimes it feels like it's almost out there in the ether, something they can't see. So I wondered whether you could touch upon this whole idea of the science of purpose and fulfillment at work, um, being the expert. 
No, absolutely. And I love that you use the word uh, detoxify, because I think that really is a lot of what's going on. We have spent so many decades sort of trying to build organizations based on an old industrial model that really tries to get the humanity out of work. Um, we've tried to just build towards efficiency, try to build towards engagement. We've been trying to build towards the sort of model of work that um, I think really does remove that humanity, which basically builds that toxicity that um, you mentioned. You know, when you talk about the science of purpose and fulfillment um, at work, sort of talking about basically the psychology of work and intrinsic motivation. Like, why do people work beyond sort of paycheck and recognition? Um, why do they show up? What is it they get out of work? What makes them truly sort of show up as their full selves at work? And, you know, really in our research, um, which is uh, based, you know, to, on a large body of uh, academic research that was already out there, it really comes down to three things that people, you know, want out of work beyond paycheck and recognition. It's relationships. Um, we need to have a sense that we're connected to other human beings. This is a core biological need. Um, it's impact. We need to feel like we're making an impact. Uh, we need to feel like our work actually matters, that we're not just sort of staying busy, um, that we're actually doing something that matters. And the, the final piece is growth. Um, we actually biologically have a, a need to, to gain a sense of growth, to feel like we're stretching um, and growing. And when work has those three elements there, um, relationships, impact, and growth, we do feel the sense of fulfillment. Uh, and that produces um, a series of neurochemicals that actually reward that behavior, cause us to do more of it. And it becomes a sort of positive flywheel um, where we start to really uh, make our work fulfilling um, and to seek it out and to approach our work differently. Uh, you know, conversely, when we're not getting those, it actually becomes a negative flywheel and we find ourselves getting into a mindset where uh, we're not making our work fulfilling, uh, where we're, you know, finding uh, finding everything having fault and sort of a deficit, a deficit mindset around it. So that's sort of high level. I think when you talk about the word purpose, I think there's purpose in terms of an organization's sort of defined purpose, uh, but it really is around the the why um, of work. And that really comes back to those three things. It's about your relationships, it's about your impact, and it's about your growth. And one of the things that we found in a recent, in a recent study, um, which was, I think, one of the most important findings uh, of our research over the years is that, um, and this may surprise you, but when we found people who were fulfilled in life, right? So they report, I'm fulfilled in life. Only 1% of them said they were unfulfilled at work. So when we talk about toxicity, I mean, this is so important because being unfulfilled at work actually is about much more than just work. It actually spills out the sort of into creating toxicity into our families, into our communities, et cetera. So the stakes for this are just incredibly high. Yeah, I'm just scribbling down here. That's that's that's, that's absolutely incredible that uh, only 1%. So of all the people fulfilled in life, only 1% were unfulfilled, unfulfilled at work. Right. So that's just probably made a hit with quite a lot of people gulp because uh, we already knew that I think the stakes were high with the responsibility of creating uh, great cultures and, and, and driving employee experience and, and having that having that at work. But we did know there's a grey area between work and home now, but that kind of makes that smashes the grey area even even more. Well, it just it's actually literally it's like grey it's literally grey area because it's like brain matter. <laughs> it's like yeah, well, yeah. Our mindset is basically what sort of carries that over. So if you're not able to show up um, with that mindset at work, you're unlikely to be able to do it outside of work. Um, so it all just does go back to how, how our brains work. Um, so uh, not surprising in a lot of ways. But the thing that's really encouraging about this, uh, especially for those of you, you know, listening to this podcast um, who are you know, working at organizations, is that when we ask people who's responsible for their fulfillment, 
they overwhelmingly say they're responsible for their own fulfillment. And I think that's a very different frame than the old, and I'll use your language again, sort of toxic framework, which has been very much about management and management down. Um, We're responsible for our employees' engagement. um, We're responsible for their productivity. And what's interesting is that employees truly get that it's they're responsible for their fulfillment. And this is the real unlock, I think, for our field, um, is that if we flip this model and stop having this sort of paternalistic top-down model and instead say, okay, people get that they're responsible for their own fulfillment, how are we helping them build the capacity to create that for themselves versus do it to them? Does that difference make sense? It does. Well, it's, it's a question that immediately sprung to mind, actually, because if you're saying the three elements, you know, relationships, impact, and growth, yep. that does seem like that the ownership on, on, on that is on the individual then. So how, how do companies find these people and how do they you know, attract the right people that will then be able to you know, have those three elements fulfilled within the workplace, I suppose. So I think self-ownership does make sense. Well, I think, I think you're hitting on the right first piece, which is being really thoughtful about how you're hiring and hiring for mindset. I think often uh, companies hire for skill set. And what we're finding more and more is that skills come and go, but getting people who really have that purpose mindset that see work as more than just a paycheck, um, a form of status is absolutely critical. Uh, But that's not always possible. And we also have a lot of current employees that may not be there. So what we found in our research were a couple of things that seem to really matter. The first is if people know what fulfills them, they're far more likely to be fulfilled. Um, in fact, if people don't know what fulfills them, they have very low odds of being fulfilled. And this is a really, I think, to use the cliche, low-hanging fruit for organizations. Help your employees figure out what fulfills them. Help them build that self-awareness. Because once they have that mental model, um, that makes an incredible difference. It enables them to navigate their work and to process their work uh, more effectively. So that's sort of one. I think the second is that no job itself is meaningful. We often talk about purposeful jobs and meaningful jobs. The reality is we as human beings create the meaning. The job itself doesn't have meaning. Um, and we create that meaning through something that's called reflection, um, something we all do but not enough of. But a job actually, even if you're doing work that should be deeply meaningful, if you're not taking time to reflect, to process that, and to tie it back to what fulfills you, um, you just end up leaving the day depleted. And I think that's one area that companies need to really create space for is for people to be able to reflect uh, to be able to really think about you know their work on a regular basis. And I think in this world of engagement and trying to really keep things um, people busy and active, we don't create space necessarily for uh, reflection. Uh, and it's so critical. And that sort of leads me to the, the I think third and final piece I'll share, which is when we looked at people who were fulfilled, yes, they had a um, sense of what fulfills them, but they also they were doing this reflection, which is really the thing that matters most, with their colleagues. Uh, people who uh, really report being fulfilled regularly are using their colleagues as partners for reflection on their daily work. And people who don't lean on their colleagues for that, we still have much lower odds of being fulfilled. So, you know, a lot of the work we're doing now, which you mentioned in your intro, is really around how do we empower people to be peer coaches for each other, to be able to bring out this meaning in the work for each other, instead of it being something HR needs to do or something manager needs to do. How do we help colleagues, peers, actually provide that sort of ongoing space for reflection and growth um, that otherwise doesn't happen for most people. And, and, and how are you defining reflection you know, in practical terms? You're at work. How, 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 will, how are your people doing this reflection with colleagues? I think it's, I think it's, there's a complex version. There's a simple version, which is just sort of, how was your day? Um, what gave you energy today? Um, how's, you know, um, 
what were the things that surprised you or inspired you today? How are your relationships at work? Um, what did you do that you feel like is making an impact? When was the last time you felt like you grew? I mean, it's these sort of basic questions that we often just don't create space for. Putting humanity back in. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times people feel like they're going to be penalized for that. Um, I've seen a lot of companies that don't create that space. So, you know, what our platform does is it matches your employees and then enables them through a video interface to have these kinds of conversations. But then it dynamically gives prompts so that each person knows which questions to ask each other based on their psychographics. Um, so that on an ongoing basis, they're able to have this kind of interaction with different people across the organization. And this truly does, as you said, it brings the humanity back. So it brings actual human conversations that aren't transactional back to work, which I think in our world, world of constant slacking and emailing and um, project management, uh, actually checking in on how we're doing as biological creatures is getting squeezed out. I suppose, you know, I'm um, building blocks towards greater team, teamwork, and therefore working towards a goal and the purpose. And, and they're, they're all built to, to a, a, a you know, much greater uh, point for the for the person and for the organization, I guess, if, if, you're, if you're doing these simple things. Yeah, oh, it's... It's like an infinite ripple effect because it's basically awakening something on people um, and you're able to have them show up much more fully and to have that psychological safety, which research study after research study is showing is the key to sort of having your employees truly at their best. Um, there's always always risky when you try and either retell a joke or talk about something you've seen on TV. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know whether you've seen, uh, it's apparently the highest rated TV show ever on IMDb. It's come out this year about Chernobyl. Yes, I did see that. Yes. Yeah. So as soon as you, uh, there's this amazing point, and there's no spoilers here, guys, because if you don't know about Chernobyl, then that... <laughs> shame on you, right? Yeah. Um, that's that's a, you know you need to you need to know. Um, so there's an amazing uh, part in the final episode where Jared Harris, one of the chief scientists, take it's real simple building blocks for you know people who don't understand nuclear science, which is probably 99 percent of us. Um, and how the disaster and the meltdown began. So you needed, you know, the blue things to go in, and then and if you take anything away, then the toxicity rises and creating these gases. And as soon as you said we've been taking humanity out of work, and that builds toxicity, I suddenly said thought thought of that Chernobyl meltdown um, and how he was saying if you take these elements away, then you create this negative tox toxic stuff. Um, and if you put them back in, then you get you get a a working functional nuclear reactor or in one case a workplace. So that, that immediately came into my mind about how we could probably build something that is quite simple to, to show and demonstrate to people how easy it is to put the humanity back into work and, and the impact it will have on those people and the organization itself. Well, it's a great double, it's a double meaning. I think both the accident itself, which was incredibly detrimental on so many fronts, was caused by a lack of psychological safety and a lack of humanity in work. I mean, yeah. you sort of see that so well. But then also to your point, sort of these chain reactions are exactly how our brains work as well. And um, they're both positive and negative. And I think the cool thing is when you start doing a lot of the, start building trust, you start building connection with people, it opens you up, you meet more people, you're able to, your brain actually starts to operate at a higher level when you have that kind of trust and collaboration. And it just starts to like become this moment, this momentum, this positive flywheel. But the same thing's also true, which is, you know, if you don't have good relationships, it teaches you to stop trusting people, which then makes you have fewer relationships. It's, your brain starts to shut down its ability to be creative and to process information. Um, and you actually stop being able to enjoy relationships as well. So even when there's a situation where normally someone would get meaning out of a relationship, 
your brain sort of shutting down to protect yourself and you start to actually not be able to feel that anymore. And therefore the motivation to even seek out relationships starts to go away and you sort of get into this spiral of loneliness. Um, as companies, I mean, we really have the ability to either create these positive or negative flywheels for people around relationships that appear to mean everything. It's interesting you say that because on our last last podcast, we were talking to Lewis Garrett um, of, down in Singapore from Mercer, and we we're talking about the the impact of uh, potential impact positively and negatively of AI in the workplace. Uh, yep. And and uh, one one of the elements was if you take if you're allowing robots to control relationships, uh, and therefore you're taking the humanity out of work. And he's as a psychologist, he said that people will start to exercise the empathy muscle less. Uh, and and right. it's kind of talking to what you're speaking, to, to, talking about now, actually, that there is there is that danger of like chain reaction in a positive or negative manner of if, if you take these things away, then the brain starts shutting down and feel lonely. And so um, it's really, really... Well, it also ties back, like you think about it, um, road rage, you know, how we tend to get very angry when we're driving or we can and how easy it is to get angry at someone, the more abstract they are. Um, yeah. It's just another car and there's not like a real person. But the second you see their face, you know, who, like, and you realize you know them, you're like, oh, like that was very uncool of me. Um, and it just sort of, sort of an exacerbation of that concept. So uh, completely agreed. And I think the good news is hopefully with AI, we can figure out how to get rid of a lot of the sort of task busy work that we traditionally was sort of looking for and enables us to um, do the thing that humans could you know do best which is actually connect with each other um so uh yeah i'm just absolutely fascinated and i, I can't wait to to see this to see the faces of the people attending in new york uh in next june um uh, i have lots lots more questions i suppose uh, we always like to say around this time of the podcast we try and keep these short they're getting longer by Every, every episode because you know our guests are just saying incredibly insightful things and learning so much um well i am anyway uh and um i suppose what's you know to those people out there who just can't haven't got a gra grasp on this or, or really want to start to try and improve it within their own organization what advice would you give them where 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 would where would they start where do they begin um so there's a, a great a community organizer out of Harvard who worked with Cesar Chavez and uh, President Obama, um, who has this model of self, us, now. And that's really what the advice I give on this as someone just getting started is you start with self, like who am I, what fulfills me, like own my own role in my work and model that. Yeah. Um, us, you know, how do you start to connect and provide that support to your colleagues to help them create that space for reflection, to encourage them to have the kinds of conversations to build their self-awareness, to be able to um, support each other in that ongoing reflection? Um, and then there's sort of the now, which is like, how do we as a society start thinking about um, changing our relationship with work more broadly? And how can you be as an individual, a team and an organization part of that story? And, you know, we at Imperative, we're a, a B Corp, a social impact uh, technology company. And we're, this is what we're all about. Um, and we have research that we have on our website, imperative.com that you can download that really starts to speak to some of the science and building the case yeah. so that you can start to really articulate to your leaders um, why we need to make this change and how easy yet profound it is. So it's about, what was about five five years since the purpose economy. Um, we've talked yep. to your, your your research now. Um, what, what what where are we in five years time? 
Yeah. Oh my God, it's amazing. I just am so blown away by how much progress we've made. Um, you know, just last month, uh, the business roundtable, uh, it was 181 different sort of top, top, top CEOs um, from the US uh, basically declared that this whole notion of shareholder um, primacy is like gone. That's no longer how we need to think about business. And this has been, I mean, that, this is a major milestone. This is a fundamental like declaration of change. Um, and, you know, the reason for some cynicism around like, you know, what does it mean? How are they going to do it? But they said, look, customers matter. Employees matter, our supply chain matters, our community matters, and that we need to have this much more complex, much richer, much more values-based definition of the role of business. So um, just last month, I feel like we just hit this massive milestone um, as a business community of just saying like, you know what, we've all known this and we haven't had the courage to say it out loud as much as we should be. And the Business Roundtable, I think, really created the platform to have this be sort of brought front and center. And uh, it truly does change everything. So to me, that's just a symbol of just the fact that we are we are truly sort of turning a corner. Yeah, they said it's going from shareholder to stakeholder, didn't they? So that that then encompassed the whole customer employee community element. I hundred percent agree. I thought that was whether, like you say, cynicism whether that falls into practice when dividends are, are supposed to be paid out and, and and executive pay and all that. But it will we'll see. It is. Well, it's a journey, right? And it's, you know, it's like everything. It's not going to, it'll be lumpy, but I think it's a fundamental like declaration of independence from this very rigid old model that has caused our environment to go to hell. It's caused so many human rights issues. It's caused our political system to um, fall apart. Um, to me, it's, it is truly a declaration of independence from that old model. Love it. Absolutely love it. I think that's probably a fantastic place to finish, actually. Um, there's so much we could talk about, uh, and I, I, I would highly recommend um, seeking out Aaron and, and the research, whether it be on LinkedIn or imperative.com, um, and, and also attending our conference next next June in New York, um, which uh, will be our biggest and best yet. So um, have you any last parting thoughts, Aaron, um, before, before uh, we finish off this, this episode and I go into my weekend and you've got Friday to Friday to go? <laughs> Just to say, uh, no, thanks for having me on here. I'm super excited about New York and just challenge everyone to be courageous and to be honest about what fulfills you and make that a reality.